You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner to English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 92 by Rudolf Steiner, The Listener's Notes of Sixteen Lectures, translated by Paul King. I just finished the first section, which was uh, Greek and Germanic mythology of the book, The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends. And I'm now going to start the second section, entitled Richard Wagner in the Light of Spiritual Science. And this will be Lecture 11. In the book, it's Lecture 1. It's given in Berlin on the 28th of March, 1905. Myths are stories told to people by great initiates, within which great truths are hidden. The Trojan War, for example, depicts the battle between the third and fourth sub-races of the fifth root race. The third is represented by Laocoon, the priest of the ancient priest-state, who was also the king, and the fourth by Odysseus, personified cunning, the power of thought coming into development in this epoch. In the north, too, we find development led by such initiates. In Wales there was an assembly of initiates of the pagan era, of priests, the highest blossoming of which was King Arthur and his round table. Alongside this was the union of the Holy Grail and its knights who labored to proclaim Christianity. Art, political development, everything is connected with the great initiates of these two groupings, the expression of pagan and Christian civilization. The influence of the Grail community became increasingly prominent around the turn of the 13th century. The period of town foundations was a particular turning point in European civilization, when the old peasant culture based on landholding was succeeded by a bourgeois urban culture. This marked a decisive change in the whole way of life and thinking. It is therefore not without significance that at the time of the Zengerkrieg, minstrel contest at Wartburg Castle, we see a legend emerging, the legend of Lohengrin. What was it this medieval legend wished to portray? Today we have no idea what the medieval folk soul was like. It was particularly sensitive to the spiritual currents moving under the surface of things. Today we see the Lohengrin legend as representing a strong Catholic viewpoint. But although there may be things here that today disturb us, we need to consider that at that time the legend could only have an effect if it was clothed in a garment that really moved souls of that period. The clothing had to give the legend a fervent piety, so that it had something of what was living in the people. So what did the legend signify? An initiation. The initiation of a cella to an arhat, of a pupil to a master. Readers aside, arhat is spelled A-R-H-A-T, end of readers aside. A cella of this kind first became a homeless one, in quotes. This means he carries out his duties like anyone else, but must make the effort to see beyond himself and to develop his higher eye capital. So, what are the attributes of each stage of initiation for a cella? 
Firstly, overcoming the personal element, the liberation of the God in his inner being. Secondly, freedom from any doubt. All skepticism ceases. The things of the Spirit stand before his soul as realities. Freedom from any kind of superstition. He is able to test everything for himself and so can no longer fall prey to deception. At a still higher stage he is given the key of knowledge. It is said of him that he receives speech. He becomes a messenger of the super-sensory world. The depths of the spiritual world are revealed to him. That is the second stage of chalaship. The third stage is where, just as he says I to himself, the individual is now able to say I to all beings of the world, where he is lifted to the all-encompassing aspect of the all. The term used by mysticism for a chela at this third stage is swan. He becomes a mediator between the arhat, the teacher, and the people. Thus the swan knight is a depiction for us of a messenger of the Great White Lodge. Thus Lohengrin is a messenger of the Grail community. Civilization was to be given a new impulse, a new aspect. You know that in mysticism the soul or consciousness is portrayed as something feminine. So here too the consciousness of the new bourgeois culture is portrayed as a feminine quality. The appearance of this new culture is seen as a shift of consciousness to a higher level. The medieval soul is depicted in Elsa von Brabant and Lohengrin, the great initiate. The swan in the third grade of Chelleship brings the new culture from the Grail community. It may not be questioned. It is a profanation and misunderstanding to question an initiate about what has to remain secret. Thus the upward shift into new states of consciousness always happens through the influence of great initiates. As an example of how these initiates operate, I should like to recall Jakob Burma. You know that Jakob Burma proclaimed profound truths. He relates that as an apprentice, he was left alone one day in his master's shop. An unknown man came in and wanted a pair of shoes. The boy wasn't allowed to sell anything while his master was absent. The unknown man said a few words to him, left the shop, and then after a while called the young Burma out to him and said, quote, Jacob, for now you are still small, but one day you will become a completely different person whom the world will be astounded by. Close quote. What does this mean? What we have here is an initiation. It portrays the moment of initiation. For some time the boy doesn't understand what has happened, but the impulse has been given. A moment like this is also depicted in the Lohengrin legend. Legends of this nature hold important references, only discernible by one who can see things in the greater context. The Lohengrin legend, as already mentioned, appears in association with the legend of the Zenger Creek. Richard Wagner used it for his Lohengrin work. We see from this how high Richard Wagner's inner calling was. Richard Wagner deals with another very ancient legendary theme in his title Ring of the Nibelungs. It deals with an ancient Germanic legend concerning the fate of a people who as a remnant, after the great Atlantean flood, spread over Europe and Asia and ushered in the post-Atlantean epoch. The legends contain a memory of the great 
initiate Woden, the Esir god, just as all the Nordic gods are none other than great ancient initiates. So Woden too is an initiate from the Atlantean period. We can distinguish three levels in Wagner's work on the Siegfried legend. On the first level we find a contemplation of modern culture. For Wagner, people today have become the day-laborers of civilization. He sees the great difference between people in modern times and in medieval times. Today, the work people do is mostly machine work, whereas in medieval culture all work was an expression of the human soul. Houses, villages, towns, everything in them was fashioned with meaning. People took pleasure in them. What are our warehouses, our shops, our towns for us today? What relationship do they have to our soul? In those times a house was the expression of an artistic idea. The whole streetscape, the market at the center of the town with its cathedral that soared above everything else, and to which everything was inclined, was an expression of the soul. Wagner felt this contrast. What he wanted to achieve in his art was to portray something that, at least in one area, showed the human being completely, a whole harmonious human being, in contrast to the day laborers of industry, is what Wagner wanted to portray in his Siegfried. This is something our great minds have always felt. Goethe felt it. Herderlin felt it and expressed it like this. You see, craftsmen, but no human being. Thinkers, but no human being. Priests, but no human being. Masters and servants, the young and the staid, but no human being. No turning back was possible externally. Our whole development could not be reversed. Wagner therefore wanted a temple of art to arise in which the artistic work as a totality would lift people above their ordinary lives. Modern times especially needed such a place of upliftment, precisely because modern life was so fragmented. This was the first idea that occupied Wagner in his Siegfried work. But a second plan came to him when he went down into deeper layers of his feeling. In the early medieval period, an old legend had entered German literary work, the Weibelungs. At that time, the deepest sensibility of the folk soul lived in a legend of this nature. Only by making a real study of the folk soul is it possible to get an idea of what lived in people's hearts at that time. Such legends were the expression of deeply inward and great truths. For example, the legend of Charlemagne. What is reported about the emperor is not historical in the modern sense of the word. People looked deeper into the old circumstances. Here the Frankish kings became the ancient ancestors of the later post-Atlantean root race. The Weibelungs were priest-kings who did not only take care of their realm but also gave it certain new spiritual characteristics. These legends were a memory of a great period now past. In this respect Charlemagne's coronation in Rome was seen as something of great importance. In very ancient times the Weibelungs had been initiate priest-kings. A memory of this continued in the German Kaiser legends. Wagner was led to these. A particular figure seemed to epitomize for him the contrast between the new times of material property 
and the medieval period, which still had a connection to that spiritual culture. This was the Barbarossa legend, which he worked on. In Barbarossa, too, we see a great initiate. Legend tells of his crusade to the east. From the initiates there, he was to bring back the higher wisdom, the knowledge of the Holy Grail. The myth of the 12th and 13th centuries has it that he was held by a spell inside his castle. His ravens bring him news of what is happening in the world. Ravens are an ancient symbol of the mysteries. In the mystery terminology of Persia, they signify the lowest level of initiate. They are the messengers of the higher initiates. What was this initiate meant to bring? Wagner wished to depict the supersession of the old period by the new with its relationships of property. What had been alive earlier had withdrawn like Barbarossa. The intervention by initiates crystallized for him in Barbarossa. This idea still shines through in the Nibelungs, at first understood externally and now on a deeper basis, it becomes the expression of the profound view of the Middle Ages in which is portrayed the rise of a new civilization. But then, with an infinitely intuitive understanding of the old Germanic mythological gods, Wagner looks for an even deeper grasp of this idea, and instead of Barbarossa he finally chooses the figure of Woden, This Germanic mythology depicts the end of Atlantean civilization, the rise of the fifth root race out of the fourth. This at the same time is the development of the intellect. The development of human intellect, of self-consciousness, did not yet exist in the Atlanteans. They lived in a kind of clairvoyance. Only in the fifth sub-race of Atlantis, in the Proto-Semites, did the first elements of a combining intellect take shape which lived on in the fifth root race. And here an ego consciousness begins to arise. An Atlantean did not say I to himself with the same intensity as people of subsequent ages. This ancient culture was brought over after the destruction of Atlantis. Europeans are a later branch of the Atlanteans. So a contrast is now created between the general mental spiritual culture and the initiates who work behind the scenes and inspire the external intellect. The dwarves of Niflheim are the bearers of ego consciousness. Wagner places Woden, the old Atlantean initiate, and Alberich, the bearer of egoism, from the Nibelung race of dwarves, the initiate of the post-Atlantean age, in opposition to one another. In mysticism, gold is highly significant and meaningful. Gold is light, light that flows outward becomes wisdom. Alberic brings gold, hardened wisdom, out of the river Rhine. Water is always the soul element, the astral. The ego, the gold, the wisdom of the eye, capital, is born out of the soul element. The river Rhine is the soul of the new era in which the intellect, ego-conscious, arises. Alberic gets hold of the gold, seizes it from the Rhine maidens, the feminine element who represents the original state of consciousness. This situation was living deep in Wagner's soul. The emergence of ego-consciousness in this new era is powerfully felt, powerfully portrayed at the beginning of Titel das Rheingold, in the chords in E-flat major. Musically, this also lives and moves through Wagner's Rheingold. Wagner had 
literary works before him that had their origins in the ancient myths. Something was living in these legends which, full of life and energy, permeated the soul with spiritual rhythm. What we ourselves live and are becomes awake. It sounds in these ancient legends and penetrates our being. The end of Lecture 11